Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. First MMA Torch podcast of 2016. It is January 14th, and uh, we have lots and lots to talk about tonight. My name is MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick. I am joined tonight by MMA Torch senior columnist Sean Ennis and MMA Torch com- contributor Michael Bain. Guys, we are a couple weeks removed from uh, UFC 195, and uh, we'll get in some thoughts tonight on that epic Carlos Condit Robbie Lawler fight to, to kick off the year but there has been so much just this week in uh, MMA news that we have tons and tons to touch on on tonight's show um, including a preview of Sunday's UFC Fight Night 81 event with one of the single best bantamweight fights I think the UFC has ever put on between TJ Dillashaw and Dominic Cruz uh, but we have tons and tons more to get to, and I think it's appropriate to start with the announcement of UFC 197, March 5th, in Las Vegas, two absolutely uh, major fights for this time of year, as Conor McGregor, fresh off a 13-second knockout over Jose Aldo, is moving up to try to take the UFC lightweight championship from Rafael Dos Anjos. Holly Holm, as well, is going to defend the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship before Ronda Rousey's return as she takes on Misha Tate. Those two fights are official for pay-per-view at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas on March 5th. Uh, Sean, I'm going to toss to you first. What's your reaction to not only the, uh, McGregor taking what might be the toughest fight possible in Dos Anjos, but the UFC booking both this and Tate Holm uh, for March when UFC 200 is still uh, just a few months away after that. Well, it's pretty interesting um, because you've got, from a, from a sheer drawing perspective, you know, and the, the competitive perspective, which is also intriguing aside, you've got their biggest draw, uh, Conor McGregor, you know, uh, I mean, Ronda Rousey is arguably the biggest draw, but she's not going to be at 200 either. But And, and now you're looking at uh, Conor McGregor, who could potentially still fight in July, but 
you know, he's fighting Rafael dos Anjos, who messes people up. So I, I don't know, you know, it, it's it's pretty interesting. It's it's definitely a risk if they really want Conor McGregor on that UFC 200 card, which I imagine they would have to. Um, you know, at this point, I, I wonder if he's not available, what are they going to lead with? You know, maybe maybe a John Jones return, um, maybe a George St. Pierre return. I mean, that, that may be what they're banking on is GSP coming back for, for 200. Um but I, I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting move on their part. You know, they seem determined to continue to ride the high. You know, they've had some great events lately, some great fights. Um, and they've all, you know, they're kind of on a, on a hot streak as far as fights not falling through, too. So uh, you got to wonder if, they, if they're just saying, you know what, forget about it. Let's just book these fights while we can do it. Uh, you know, may, let them happen. And then uh, we'll, we'll fly by the seat of our pants till, until, you know, until we can't anymore. So I... It seems like they've. It, I would have to think they've got at least something up their sleeve, um, besides Conor McGregor for for two hundred. Um, if they're if they're booking him this early, you know, after the uh, after his last fight. Mike, I'm going to throw this over to you here uh, and 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 frame it this way because Conor McGregor. One of the reasons I think that he's getting this booking is his plan is to capture both titles and fight three to four times a year, alternating between which one he's defending. And given he has done everything to date that he has said he was going to do, the UFC is giving him that opportunity. Um, What do you think uh, is actually going to happen here? Do you think that Conor McGregor can, can win this fight and defend the title multiple times? Do you think this is something that's feasible? And what's your reaction to just... Uh, as as Sean talked about the the timing of all of this. Well, if if Conor McGregor's plan to defend titles in two divisions was ever going to be realistic, he was automatically going to be putting himself at risk anyway for the two biggest times that UFC puts on events during the years. If they're going to do it, this is the way they had to do it. You know, fighting in March is actually going to give him a little bit more time uh, to prepare for UFC 200 then he's had to prepare for this fight uh, coming off of his, his win over Jose Aldo. So, so look, if he's going to do it, you have to book him. And this is really the first, he's made these outrageous proclamations. This is the first step in seeing if he can fulfill that and also capitalizing on you know, the popularity that he's, uh, he suddenly has with a lot more of the mainstream audience. You know, I think... Sean hit the nail on the head there. The UFC really did close out uh, 2015 with some great events, great fights, and I don't think they're taking their foot off the gas here. Uh, they're riding that momentum, and uh, definitely a good luck streak of fighters not getting injured as well. If he captures this lightweight championship at UFC 197, do you think he's going to defend it at UFC 200? And, or defend the featherweight belt at UFC 200? And do you think we're going to see him actually follow up on the promise of fighting three to four times a year? I think that next fight at UFC 200, I, well, well to, to start with, yeah, I, I do think he's going to be on the UFC 200 card, uh, barring some sort of injury. He's got a little bit more time, I believe, to prepare for that fight coming off of 197 than uh, he did for 197 uh off of the Aldo victory. Uh, so I do expect to see him on that card. And assuming that he doesn't uh, vacate the featherweight title, which he doesn't seem particularly keen on doing, that's the belt he's going to be defending. His management came out and said, hey, Frankie wants his shot. That's where he's going to get it. 
and you can't deny Frank Edgar a title fight any longer. And you can't, uh, I don't think you can have the lightweight belt contested for twice by, with the same person involved and, and leave the featherweight uh, championship to the side. So um, until he decides that he doesn't want to make the cuts 145 anymore, I think he really is going to try to defend both titles, obviously assuming the win uh, at 155. Sean, how about you? Do you think that this is something that Conor McGregor can actually follow up on? Do you think that he is going to do, once again, what he's laid out that he's going to do? Well, at this point, um, I'm not uh, I'm not going to doubt him anymore. You know, I, I thought he was going to get uh, beat pretty badly by Jose Aldo, um, and that obviously did not happen. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that he can't do it. I think he can. Um, whether he will or not, I'm not ready to say that at this point. I, I, I do, you know, my early pick for the fight, not that we're to that point yet, but uh, my early pick for the fight is Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I don't doubt that uh, Conor McGregor can do uh, what he says he wants to do. It, it, it's really, I just, I just find it really interesting with the, the fight itself because, you know, him not fighting Frankie Edgar yet ne- next uh, sets up the the line of talk of, oh, he's running from Frankie Edgar. But you can't say he's running away from anything when he's taking what is arguably an even tougher fight. Oh, Rafael yeah. Dos Anjos, with what he did to Donald Cerrone and what he did to Anthony Pettis, is an absolute beast right now. He's fighting at a level that uh, he never has in his career to date, and, he, and Dos Anjos himself is better than he has ever been. Uh, and stylistically they're a bit similar uh dos anjos and and edgar i think edgar is a better more well-rounded uh fighter overall i think he has more of a skill set to work with he just doesn't have quite the size that dos anjos has and that power and that size is a very real edge with the game that dos anjos brings which is to overwhelm his opponents and break them down, which is what he did to Anthony Pettis. It's what he did to Donald Cerrone real quick. Granted, I will give Conor McGregor this, you know, this, this is not a Frankie Edgar, uh, cutting from 155 to 145. You know, Edgar's not a big guy. He, he's, he's a strong guy. He, he hits like a truck. And we saw that against Chad Mendez, but, the, the thing with Edgar is is he's natural at featherweight. Yeah. We, we don't really know where Conor McGregor really is naturally because he's walking around 175, cutting down those 30 pounds. He might be a natural lightweight. Hell, he might bulk up and go up to welterweight, as John Kavanaugh talked about this uh, this week, as, as an option for him in the future. And like Sean said, you can't... You can't really doubt him at this point. You still, We still need to see him accomplish it, but it's a lot more believable uh, now than it was even six months ago. Yeah. I think really the interesting question here is what is the UFC expecting? Because if they're banking on Conor McGregor being able to, you know, whether he wins or loses this fight, if they're banking on him to be able to fight in July, that's a pretty, it's a pretty quick turnaround to, you know, to, to really expect to have happen, you know, it's not impossible, certainly not unprecedented at all, but it's uh, to expect that and to, and to really kind of put all your eggs in that basket. 
um, what I think would be not very wise, uh, which makes me think that they've got something else up their sleeve for that event. See, but that's what he wants to do, and that's, this is my thing with it, too, is, is this is exactly what he's telling them that he wants to do. I can guarantee yeah. that he told them, you know, I'm, I'm going to beat Rafael Dos Anjos, and then I'm going to fight at UFC 200. You know, that, that's, that really seems like the conversation that took place because he himself has said he wants to fight as often as possible, and he wants to be the big name in the biggest events. I think he wants to take the lightweight title from, from Dos Anjos and then beat Frankie Edgar at UFC 200 and then defend the lightweight title in uh, September or October and then close out uh, 2016 with another defense, probably uh, a rematch with Jose Aldo. I think that oh, is yeah. Conor I... McGregor's plan is beat Dos Anjos, beat Edgar, defend the lightweight title, beat Jose Aldo again. I think yeah. that is, is the plan in Conor McGregor's mind, accomplishing that is a different story, obviously, but I think that's how this came about was his desire to do just that. Yeah, I have no doubt that it's his plan. My, my, what I wonder is whether the UFC expects it. Like, are they, are they banking on Conor McGregor being able to fight at 200, or do they have a backup plan in case he can't? Well, I, I and you know, I, I think you brought this up previously, but the, the name that comes to my mind is is the backup plan, or just you know, an additional plan is is GSP in the hopes that he returns. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is too that it you know the UFC has had a history of promoting the brand a lot more than the fighter. The fighter will carry the fights, but the brand is what has made the fighter in the first place in a lot of these cases. And I, I think maybe they're approaching with the mentality of like, look, if McGregor gets hurt or McGregor loses, it's probably going to happen eventually. Anyway, the business still has to go. You know, now we've got Ronda Rousey who's saying she's not going to, you know, she, she needs more time, not going to fight at 200. That was shocking to me. I, I expected Rousey on the 200 card as one of the biggest draws in mixed martial arts right now. And the UFC seems to be proceeding, proceeding with this mentality of, it's still us. If we don't have McGregor, we don't have Rousey, we're still going to make a big event and we're going to put something together and we're going to, you know, tell people why they should show up and watch it. See if they're right or not, but but you know, that seems to be the attitude they've got right now. Let's let's shift to, to Rousey and, and UFC 200 here because the, the home Tate booking uh, has to do with all of this as well. I, I think there's I think there's a very real possibility the UFC would have given Holm what she wanted anyway. Uh with her, again, dictating that she wanted to fight more often uh, than, than they were thinking initially. And if she beats Misha Tate, it sets up that massive rematch with Ronda Rousey anyway. But, obviously, Rousey saying that she needs more time before returning uh, made it clear that they're not going to keep Holly Holm on the sidelines for, you know, eight, nine months of 2016. There's there's no need to do that. And so that, that fight booking feels like it comes about a little bit because of, of Ronda Rousey and her not fighting at UFC 200. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens here because she's going to be hosting Saturday Night Live later this month. She's filming two movie roles, one of which uh, came out uh, earlier this week or uh, late last week that her role has been cut down in that mile 22 film um, because the producer or the, the studio head 
had had some concerns over her ability to to handle. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A leading acting role, which. Not exactly a ringing endorsement of Ronda Rousey, <laughs> but I'm curious, honestly, to see whether or not she shows up for the WWE's WrestleMania uh, in, in Arlington, Texas this year, because now it's kind of opened up for her. If she's not rushing to get back in the cage until later in the year, and the Roadhouse uh, film has been delayed a little bit there was an angle set up last year it's something that she wants to do she no longer has necessarily the obligation as champion in the ufc i i think there's more possibility of her showing up for that than there was prior to the loss to holly holm do you think i'm wrong sean no i don't i think it's happening um especially you know if, if you follow the the business of wwe at all which i know you do and I, I do as well um they they are um having their own problems with injuries at, at this point you know of the, uh, the most of their big names are out um you know the more you look at that roster the more you think man they're gonna need something to to kind of bump this thing up and because uh, they're going to like you said they're going to arlington they're going to jerry world so they're gonna need some kind of draw um to bring uh, however many people they want to get in there a million people i don't know and uh you know, Ronda Rousey is an is an easy name um, to see showing up. I, I really, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that's happening. Just a complete side note, if they don't give us Shinsuke Nakamura against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, <laughs> I'm going to be really depressed. <laughs> I am I am very excited slash terrified, probably in equal measure, to see <laughs> Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles and uh, and uh, Anderson and Gallows in the WWE. I, I'm very, I'm, I'm at least intrigued, if nothing else. Mike, have we lost you yet? You know, <laughs> I used to call it a lot. I, yeah, I, I'm just going to, uh, I'll, I'll let you be excited for me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Do you think that uh, Holly Holm is taking a risk against Misha Tate, or do you think Holly Holm wins that fight hands down and is going to still have the rematch with Ronda Rousey? Or is there another angle on this? Do you think that there's just as much business for Ronda chasing Tate for the title should Tate win? Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier this week, and I've been a proponent the whole time of, no, you got to give Holm the, uh, you got to give Rousey the home rematch so we don't, 
you know, the UFC doesn't lose that huge money-making opportunity or, or lose a fight that the fans want to see. For starters, I think Holman is going to beat Tate. She comes from a great camp. They're very smart. They have a lot of faith in their fighter. This isn't just a great, we, you know, we beat Rousey or we got to fight Rousey, quick cash grab type of thing. I, I think they believe that uh, Holm can be the reigning champion for a long time. But I, 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 I think Holm's going to beat Tate. However, there is a slight risk to Holm in this situation uh, where she'd lose to Tate, depending on how her contract is structured. I know a lot of times the champions get uh, points on pay-per-view per view buys. And if she does lose to Tate and isn't the champ anymore, she could cost herself in a future fight. I don't think that makes the rematch against Rousey any uh, less of a big deal. You know, and let's run through this scenario real quick. quickly. Say Tate beats Holm, gets the bout. If Rousey comes back, we're gonna. I'm gonna assume that Rousey can beat Tate for the third time. Tate's never really shown an ability to be competitive to competitive against Rousey. In the in the meantime, you give Holm, uh, you know, an easy win fight against someone, and there you've got the Holm Rousey rematch again, where Holm is coming after Rousey's belt for the second time, and I think that's still just as huge of a fight it's gonna as. Uh, you know, as it would have been before. And, and now you've got the immediate benefit, too, of if Holm does beat Tate, who's a very who's top of the division right up there, you build her up that much more. So I, I think maybe it's a slight financial risk for Holm, but it's not nearly the risk I used to think it was for everything else. It's, it's really interesting because it's it's true, but it's crazy that it's true that Misha Tate might stylistically be a more difficult fight for Holly Holm than was Ronda Rousey. Because, while Tate's not the finishing risk that Ronda Rousey is on the ground, you know, Holm's not going to have the same type of issues um, on on the ground against Misha Tate that she would have faced against Ronda Rousey had she gotten taken down. But Misha Tate is a fighter who is extremely durable and capable of winning rounds. This, this is a fighter who, over 25 minutes, could beat Holly Holm for 13, 14 of those and win three rounds. That's... Well, she's, got, she, she's got the one great weapon uh, that grapplers can use to neutralize strikers, and that's the double leg takedown. Yep. Uh, Rousey's, Rousey's getting people to the ground always involves using their momentum against them, which is not a particular, uh, particularly effective style against a fighter like Holm is going to pick you apart from distance at using her length. Well, and for as one-sided as that first, as that that Holm Rousey fight was, I'm not convinced the rematch would be anywhere close to identical. Because, let's face it, Holm connected real quick. It was within the first what 20, 25 seconds of that fight. She connected on a couple of hard strikes that completely changed the tone of what Ronda Rousey was trying to do. And well, you, and you also have to factor in that uh, that Rousey came in with a uh, what could be characterized as a borderline idiotic game plan. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if you have to go borderline. I don't think you need to qualify that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong. That's it was bad. What do you what do you so think? I, of, what do you think of this this uh, uh, three person setup here in this in this bantamweight division? Because really. The UFC has done nothing to prop up anyone else in this field. They haven't signed anyone in the women's bantamweight division for I don't even remember how long it is. I think I 
the last I saw, I believe, was nine to ten months, if not longer, that they hadn't signed anyone for this field. So it, it it's really, really top-heavy and really just about these three names at the moment. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, light heavyweight division at this point. But it's like, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty much with Mike on on, uh, on that take. You know, I, I think it's, I don't think the UFC can lose uh, no matter what happens here. You know, whether the individual fighters can lose is another story. Um, but I don't think, you know, whether Holm wins or, or Tate wins this next fight, you've got a marketable, marketable fight against Ronda Rousey either way. Um, and even if she's not ready to go in time uh, to you know, to uh, fight either one, you know, to fight the winner of that fight, you've still got, you know, I, I think you could probably do a rematch between Tate and Holm, you know. It, I think Ronda Rousey has has been the, the tide that has uh, lifted all ships uh, in, the, in the women's bantamweight division. You know, Tate has a bigger name. You know, obviously Holm has the biggest name uh, besides Rousey at this point, but even before Holm won that fight, Misha Tate had a pretty, you know, a, a decent-sized name. Uh, because of that Ronda Rousey, uh, Ronda Rousey rivalry, so uh, you know I, I don't I don't think that the UFC is going to is going to be able to go wrong here. Um, I do think you know like Mike I do think that uh, that Holm wins that fight, uh, but you know whatever happens we're going to get uh, we're, we're going to get some good fights out of it and some uh, some strong uh, I think some strong buy rates out of it too. Well, let me and let me throw this out there too. Let's just say the unthinkable happens and, and Rousey decides. She's she doesn't want to come back. This is gonna this card is gonna sell huge. It, it's got a super fight on it. it. Has McGregor putting Holm and Tate on there is is a wonderful way to get the women's the women's champion uh, some exposure in, a, in an event that's gonna draw a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, yeah no I, I mean I mean she did get a ton of eyeballs in November when she took the title. People weren't well, paying it, attention to her at the point at that time until it happened. But yeah, it's it's a way to not place it on her to uh, to be the crux of that next draw, which is the right move, considering it was Ronda Rousey who brought a million buys to a fight from Australia. Yep. Yeah. Uh, shifting the conversation away from from UFC 197, uh, there was. Uh, some other news out of Nevada this week as the Nevada Athletic Commission held another commission meeting um, and it was it was one of the shortest ones that they have ever held because they didn't actually do much. They were supposed to hear um, Vanderlei Silva's case once again as it had been sent back to them after a district court judge uh, determined that their lifetime ban was quote unquote arbitrary and capricious, but uh, they also had Nick Diaz's settlement on this um, on their docket here. They once again set aside Vanderlei Silva's case for February and just quickly passed the the settlement agreement that Nick Diaz had reached, and it was only uh, yesterday that we got terms of that. Uh, settlement agreement in in the in full. Um, Diaz essentially had to admit again, quote unquote, in this situation, that he had invoked his Fifth Amendment rights incorrectly uh, in order to get this settlement. Es- essentially, the the commission was trying to 
avoid further culpability in in their five year ban for uh, a increasingly questionable failed quote unquote test. I'm just going to keep using that tonight because it's appropriate <laughs> with this commission. Um, but Diaz had to admit that he he invoked the Fifth Amendment right incorrectly to not incriminate himself during their hearing and not answer Pat Lundvall's increasingly asinine questions. Um, regardless, he is, his suspension was reduced from five years to 18 months. He is eligible to, be, to return as of August 1st of this year. And his fine was reduced from 160000 to $100,000. They still got six figures out of Nick Diaz's pocket when really, I, 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 given what happened and given the arguments presented by, by Diaz's team, it's ridiculous that they were able to find him six figures over that test. But par for the course with the Nevada Athletic Commission. Mike, I'm going to throw to you here as our uh, site legal expert, as far as we have one. Do we, um, we quote-unquote legal expert? The quote-unquote legal <laughs> expert of MMA Torch here. Uh, as the attorney of our group, what, what was your take on the settlement here uh, and the, the essentially forced admission uh, that Diaz had to... Um, acquiesce to to get this settlement to happen wow it's one of those situations where i'm like these idiots just all deserve each other (laughs) well put you know nick diaz i don't feel bad for nick diaz i I felt he's not a sympathetic figure he's really not but the commission is that bad (laughs) That they, they are. Made they him are that. They're so bad that that I can understand why people would uh, would uh, feel like Diaz is the victim of something here. You know, let's let's take this. Let's just say there was no failed test, and the athletic, Nevada Athletic Commission came out and asked Nick Diaz, "Did you smoke marijuana uh, within the week prior to your fight, or within the day prior to your fight, or whatever they want to ask?" And he said, "Yes." What's the justifiable punishment there? Let's just throw out the test for a second. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's 18 months and $100,000. Maybe it's a lifetime ban. That seems ridiculous. But, but See, I mean, here, my... Just just quick counterpoint to that. There is no justifiable punishment because it's not prohibited out of competition. All right. Well, in com- let's just say in competition then. My, let's just say he's like, yeah, I lit up five minutes before the fight. Okay. Let's say that that happened. What, and, and refresh my memory. What is the... Um, in competition, is it 24 hours? I believe I believe it's 12 hours before and 12 hours after. Okay, where okay. where they do the test, and if they find it in your system, yeah. that you have uh, you're, you're you're guilty of that. Which that test. and and there's so much wrong with that when it comes to marijuana specifically. Well, it means that's. Um, I mean, I'm no. Yeah. I'm no, assuming I'm, that you should probably quit a week or two before. Be my guess. Let it get out of your system, and if you can't stop yourself at that point, you. you that, that, that's just dumb. But let's just say Nick Diaz admits to it. What's the appropriate punishment there? And, and that's kind of how I approached his whole situation. The testing, which seems inconsistent and contradictory, and I don't think you can really get a, uh, a positive test and base something on that. 
But his taking of the Fifth Amendment, uh, amendment, amendment, excuse me, were he were they to have asked him, you know, they asked him a bunch of questions. It says Fifth Amendment. He doesn't want. You usually take the Fifth Amendment because some. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Something that you say is going to incriminate you. You, you are going to be the cause of your own, your, your statement's going to be the cause of your own punishment. And we're allowed to infer, uh, it's not an admission of guilt to take the Fifth Amendment, but we're allowed to infer behavior from that or infer whatever we want when making a decision. So... I mean, Nick Diaz is on the record multiple times and said he smokes marijuana on a regular basis. I firmly believe he smoked marijuana, and uh, there was a good chance it would have been found in his system. Um, the punishment and the childish way that the Nevada Athletic Commission went about it was just it's just sad. I, I, I was finding it hard to believe in reading some of these transcripts that these were actually adults who had been given some sort of administrative and managerial positions for for something that's this important. It, it's just, in, in the settlement of, I don't understand the point of making Nick Diaz state he used the Fifth Amendment wrong. It's just, it comes across as so completely childish. And I, I don't, Here, you know. I, I want to go into one, one of my biggest problems with this entire issue is the the science on marijuana testing as it stands and the way that it's used with your analysis and uh, typically not uh, um, blood or anything like that for these tests is they're looking for the the metabolites that the drug was used well th- this this is a is a drug that has a half-life that stays in the system for a significantly longer time than many other drugs. It's a drug that is not illegal for uh, Diaz and other uh, persons to use in the certain states where he was using it. Or... And it's also not, not uh, it's also something that they can use out of competition. Yes, like like and, Jones yeah, no, and, and, and not disqualify. Yes, and, and getting that, getting to that as well is, it's it's the whole reason to to have marijuana on the banned substances list is because they don't want an athlete to compete high, just as they don't want an athlete to compete drunk. They don't want an athlete to compete on the influence of cocaine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But because of the way that the tests are conducted, because of the way that the, uh, uh, the, the the tests are done, they're not finding that 
at all. They're not looking for that. They're looking that the drug was used, period, and punishing based off of that when, in fact, the the any levels in Diaz's system, given he is an admitted user and someone who is a heavy user more than likely, it, he could have that level in his system even if he had stopped two weeks out. He could. <laughs> maybe, theoretically. Well, maybe you can answer this question for me then, Jimmy. I mean, shouldn't Diaz have disclosed the fact that he was using provided a prescription and requested a, a therapeutic use exemption at some point? Oh, absolutely. And I'm not and I'm not saying I'm not saying that he yeah. that that he has no liability in this matter. And and that's they they catch people on the the disclosure aspect more than they actually, you know, <laughs> catch what sure. they're doing. But at the same time, it's not it's not entirely relevant to Fight Night. If if he was doing that a week before and it's not something that is relevant to the fight itself. Obviously, he should have disclosed his use when everyone knows that he was using. That that one's on him. That shouldn't lead to a five-year ban and a six-figure fine. I, no, and I, I think that the, the court definitely agreed with, with that. Um, the ban was absurd. And the fine... See, I, I guess I'm just not quite as sympathetic. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's more money than most of us, you know, can can really comprehend at, at one moment, and it's not like this hadn't happened to him before. That's that, and that's where my sympathy kind of runs out for Diaz. It's like, man, just I, I know you want to, but take a month off if you can, and 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 you know, fight and then smoke all you want. But that's just, that's that's my other, that's my other problem with this scenario, though. Is is this is a situation where we very well could be dealing with some type of tainted sample, given the fact that just hours before and just hours after, he submitted tests that did not reach that threshold. Well, and though, that's where I come back and, to, though. And that's where why, I have an issue. Why, but why, why, why take the fifth? And I guess that's where I kind of well, really... Well, on, on, on advice of his attorneys, he wasn't going to testify. He was essentially forced to testify, and by being forced to testify, he kept saying fifth amendment because that's he what his attorney said i didn't do it i mean hey, he just he should have said i didn't do it if he didn't do it and that's, I, but that's, again i mean he was he was taking the advice of his attorneys at the time and they said flat out he wasn't going to testify and pat lundvall said well no i'm going to ask him questions anyway that's not how this works here so that that's that's more of the ridiculousness of this commission than oh, I'm not even nick diaz is, is... Sean, I want to pull you into this because uh, Mike and I have been going back and forth on a, for for a bit. I want I want to hear I want to get your take on on Diaz and this this whole scenario with the commission uh, from January of last year to the hearing in I believe it was September to now. Um, nobody was right, and. <laughs> They did a uh, semi-make-good with a stupid qualifier in making him say they took the fifth uh, incorrectly. Um, <laughs> it was basically, uh, you know, everybody, it was like Mike said, everybody acted like children. Like, you know, the, the punishment was stupid, never should happen. Uh, Diaz never should have <laughs> been smoking pot within the, the, the range in which he could be tested, because you know he's getting tested. And 
the whole thing with the, the resolution is um, late uh, and probably still excessive, um, but also uh, they needed to do it because it was just dumb. Like the, the whole punishment was dumb. Um, and every, basically every, everything associated with this has been dumb. So that that is my take. It's fairly clear that Nick Diaz is never going to fight Nevada again. Oh yeah, that's I I I, I think that's fairly obvious. And if if it wasn't on the surface, the terms of this settlement made it even more so. Because were he to fight in Nevada again, he would have to provide a clean sample, um, three three separate clean samples. 30 days out, 15 days out, and 5 days out from said fight. Of any substances, regardless of in or out of competition. He's never fighting in Nevada again. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that's safe. Let's talk about uh, never fighting in Nevada again, because Vanderlei Silva is probably headed to Japan to fight Fedor Emelianenko later this year. Uh, (laughs) um, Oh. Vanderlei, oh, Sil- Vanderlei oh, Silva, uh, he he got the lifetime ban for skipping out on a drug test. He later claimed that, uh, you know, he thought he would get tapped for a diuretic, which, yeah, okay. Sure, <laughs> sure, Vanderlei. Um, the lifetime ban was still ridiculous. The commission overreached, and they rightfully got um, taken to task on that front by the district court, which sent it back to them. And even though the attorney general's office came to a consent agreement with Vanderlei Silva, the commission members, as new commissioner uh, or new executive director uh, Anthony Marnell revealed, um, it, they were not comfortable with those terms, and so they're going to have another discipl- essentially disciplinary hearing, but they've delayed it four months straight. It was supposed to happen back in October. Then it was supposed to happen in November. Then it was supposed to happen in December. It was supposed to happen this month. And uh, Vanderlei Silva's attorney, who was present uh, at the at the meeting this week, was rightfully unhappy with their decision to table it and push it out. And during the public comments section, took them to task over the lack of legality towards pushing this out again, uh, arguing that that Silva had uh, due process rights here to have this heard, and especially with representation there. Um, once again, Pat Lundvall reared her head and said that she had questions she wanted to ask of Vanderlei Silva, which I don't know what that would do at this point, given they asked their questions in the initial hearing two years ago. Um, but he, he made it clear Vanderlei is not coming to any of these <laughs> And he's, he's not going to be there. He doesn't have to be there. He has a legal right not to be there if he is represented. Um, <laughs> Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll throw to you again. I, I, I don't know if you if you caught any of the hearing or any of the follow-up or, or anything with this this week. But just the, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that this commission is still the most influential commission in the country. I don't, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish by bumping the hearing back other than to save face somehow, to, to get Vanderlei up there and make it seem like there was some justification behind the punishment that they originally handed out. That, that's the only thing I can think of 
at the moment. And at some point, his attorneys are, are probably going to want to file something to force the issue because there's a very good argument he is being denied due process at the moment. And because of that, uh, his ability to make a living is, is compromised. So They absolutely plan on suing the, the, the commission further. They're, they're already appealing the uh, – uh, one of the reasons they want this uh, new disciplinary hearing is because they need some type of actual discipline on file to continue their appeals towards the Nevada Supreme Court regarding the commission's jurisdiction to test him in the first place. I think that is a, is a futile effort on their part anyway. It's also not going to matter with the news that came out today that he, uh, uh, I, I think he came to a settlement with the UFC on the defamation suit that they brought against him for the allegations he made last year about fight fixing in the organization. <laughs> Uh, he released a very canned and obviously pre-written for him uh, apology for his statements, and in return for that apology was finally granted his release. Um, given that release, and given the still pending uh, legal issues with the Nevada Athletic Commission, I, I, I just don't see him doing anything but going to Japan and fighting, because... It's it's open to him now. Uh, oh, he's going to Japan. Yeah, you better believe that. Uh, Sean, are 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 we or are we not seeing Vanderlei Silva against someone <laughs> in Ryzen this summer? We are unquestionably seeing him against. If Ryzen runs another event, Vanderlei Silva is going to be on it. I don't care if it's tomorrow. He is he is going to be there and he's going to be fighting in Japan. Uh, you know, whether it's against some tomato can or whether it's against Fedor, okay, is, I, any, I, is anybody's guess. I, but, I, uh, I, I posit this. Would you rather see him fight uh, Fedor Emelianenko or Kazushi Sakuraba? Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> so basically you're asking me, do I want Vanille Silva to get hurt very badly do I, or do I want Kazushi Sakuraba to get hurt very it's, badly? It's who would you rather see die in Japan? Yes. <laughs> Well, Sakuraba is probably the more sympathetic character at this point, but uh, you know that's a that's a there there is no right answer to that question, man. I don't I don't want to see either of those things happen. Yeah, those are those are two things I'm not going to watch. So yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, here's I, just this this is going to be a tangent on on Ryzen, but that those two shows they had in Japan, they, there were some entertaining fights on those cards. They had some. Uh, the, the the talent in that that Grand Prix that they put together there was there's some decent fights in there King Mo wound up winning um, and and obviously I think that kind of shows you the the overall level but th there were some entertaining fights in there there were some entertaining fights throughout the, the the two events but at the same time it was so spectacle over anything and Fedor Jaideep Singh was such a ridiculous nothing fight that I, I I don't know that Ryzen's place in MMA is one that's sustainable or desirable in 2016 yeah it's it's definitely it was definitely style over substance um, and it, you know it reeked of you know uh, a dying pride except without the Dan Henderson manually Silva fight um, you know, it's, I, I think they have a place. I don't think they have a place for 10 events a year, but I think they have a place for two or three. 
yeah. this point anyway. Um, you know, there's I think there's always going to be at least there's going to be a market for that for a little while, you know, um, if nothing else, for nostalgia's sake. And it is still fun to watch, you know, but the, the question is, at what point without... Act- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Actually, without actual relevance, at what point does it wear out as welcome completely? And I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I, I, I think immediately. Even in Japan, it was there. There were a couple of different events going on in Japan for New Year's Eve, and this was the lowest rated of them all in Japan. Yeah, it's, so it's not surprising. It's, <laughs> I, it, yeah, I mean, Fedora Melianenko in 2016 is Fedora Melianenko in 2016. Yeah, that's where we're at here. Mike, any thoughts on that before I move on from Japan? On uh, Vanderlei in particular? On Vanderlei, on Fedor, on Ryzen, on any part of that tangent. Well, I'm not going to watch Ryzen or Fedor. I don't think Mike has ever watched Spike TV. Vanderlei's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the settlement he reached with the UFC. When he made those statements about the fight fixing, he really put the UFC in a position where... They, they didn't have a choice but to sue him for defamation. That's just solely due to the integrity of the sport. And you know, they really, had they wanted to take him to task, uh, their, the amount of money that they can pour into attorneys is, is fairly unlimited. They could, have, they could have tied Silva up, forced him to go to trial, all these other things. And they, they really got what they wanted the whole time, which was an admission that hopefully a truthful one, and I don't really have much reason to doubt it, that uh, you know, Silva's claims were were not true, and uh, in the end, I think they they did him a solid also by releasing him. So I know they come across as a bully, and for really good reason because they they bully a lot of their fighters. But this was really, in my eyes, handled appropriately, and I don't think they had a choice. And uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, about the best end for all, all parties concerned here. It's it's another fighter with very little sympathy towards him. And yeah. that's that's going to continue with our ne- next subject. I, I will. Well, I will Go say. Ahead. Okay. I was hoping that uh, his apology would have been in video form, much like his. <laughs> 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 just oh man, I uh, it would not have been as well written. <laughs> um, it wouldn't have been written at all. But or coherent. Uh, but hey, or coherent. <laughs> Speaking of unsympathetic figures, Yoel Romero is the latest fighter to get uh, uh, 
flagged by USADA out of competition, and it's it's thrown another bomb into this middleweight field, which is just riddled with ped users. It seems. Um, I I really I'm I'm not a Tim Kennedy guy at all. I, I really I I never have been. I never will be. But there's there's a little bit of uh, uh, joy to be had in his Twitter feed this week with with his Sounds responses <laughs> to well Yoel Romero. Who was the last fight that Kennedy had? Um, I mean, Kennedy had a very real gripe over how that Romero fight played out. He's had a very real gripe over a couple of other fights. He uh, and along with Michael Bisping are two of the fighters in this division who I, I, I don't think I, of, of all fighters in this sport, those are two of the guys who I would believe are absolutely clean and have not taken any performance enhancing drugs. Those, those are two names that would shock me if they're, if they popped up on a list and got flagged for someone. There are very few in this sport who would actually shock me if they showed up as uh, someone who got flagged for a performance-enhancing drug. So the just clear schadenfreude that came out with Yoel Romero failing this test this week was entertaining enough. But, I mean, throw in the fact of the, the cage grab against Jacare Souza and a couple of the eye gouges and the fact that he got a decision that a lot of people, myself included, did not think he deserved over Jacare Souza. And it's... It's it's disappointing to see, especially from a former uh, uh, Olympian in Romero. It's not surprising, but it's it's disappointing. Uh, and at the same time, now leaves the UFC with either giving Luke Rockhold what he wants, what he wants with a uh, Vitor Belfort fight that Belfort has not earned for a title, or a rematch for Chris Weidman after he got absolutely demolished, and when he does not have the tenure as champion that some others have to earn a an immediate rematch. Um, Sean, thoughts on Romero's failure here, and what do you do if you're the UFC for the next UFC middleweight title fight? Um, I, I'm pretty much with you on the reaction. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed. I love watching Yoel Romero, um, but I'm not, I'm not shocked. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, as for what to do with the with the middleweight title, I you know I would not be opposed to throwing Jacare Souza in there. Quite honestly, um, I, I think Vitor Belfort. Uh, I I don't need to see Vitor Belfort again. You know, but uh, you know if, if Rockhold wants to if Rockhold wants to beat him up for punishment for uh, kicking him in the head a few years ago. You know, whatever. That's a. It's more of a vanity thing than anything else. You know, the I don't think the only reason I want to see Rockhold Belfort too is because I think Rockhold destroys him the second time around, oh, yeah. and I oh, want yeah. to see that happen. <laughs> that's and that's really what it is. It's how much how much does the UFC want to see that? Because if they want to see it, well, yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think. Well, I shouldn't say I don't think it'll happen because weirder things have happened with uh, Vitor Belfort getting title shots. Um, uh, so you know, but my my choice would be to put Jacare Souza in there. I think he has done enough to earn the title shot. And as you said, I had him win that fight too uh, against uh, against Romero. As much of a uh, Romero guy as I am, um, I still had him win in that fight. 
and uh, I think he deserves a shot. You know, especially I think there's there's intrigue to that fight anyway with um, or with a, uh, it being a rematch from a strike force title fight from several years back. Mike, yeah, it's somewhat ironic that uh, Belfort is again depriving a benefit from uh, performance enhancing drug usage. <laughs> This time by by someone else. Romero is a guy you look at. At I believe he's thirty eight years old, and he has the body of of you know a Greek god. And when he he pops from an assume for for PEDs, it's just like, well, of course he did. I mean, look at look at the guy. How do we not see that coming? Yeah. Uh, you know, I I I go a different route than Sean. Uh, I really do want to see Jacare fight for the title. And I do think there was a lot of intrigue from that rematch as well. It's just so hard to give him to give him a title shot over a quote unquote loss, you know, even though arguably not a loss, maybe turn into a no contest. It was one of those fights that neither of them really earned anything out of it. Exactly. Exactly. And it just, it's not a, it wasn't a really good, it's not a good fight to be able to promote a, a, a title fight out of what I do. He like said, I want to see Jacques Ray in a title fight. I give him Belfort. I'm assuming he'll win pretty badly, and I rematch Weidman and Rockhold in a completely unnecessary Cain Velasquez Fabricio Verdum type rematch. <laughs> but but that's my plan, and that's only because there are so many. There's no good options here. Isn't it crazy that Cain Velasquez and Fabri- and Cain uh, um, Velasquez and Chris Weidman are likely going to get rematches? And if Ronda Rousey was healthy enough and didn't have uh, her film obligations would also be in this camp to get those types of rematches off of absolute sustained bludgeonings. Whereas yeah. Jose Aldo, after holding oh. the title for a decade and losing it on just one exchange is not even going to be in the picture until the end of the year. Like I just, that's it's insane and understandable at the same time, because this sport is just freaking wacky. <laughs> it is, and, uh, you know, the, the, the poor Jose Aldo, no one really cares about him. You know, the, the, he's just never been embraced outside of your hardcore fan base. Uh, he really, he really, really, legs. really needed to beat Conor McGregor. He yeah. really needed that win, and that it ended the way it did was probably the worst possible outcome for him. Everyone's already forgotten about him. I mean, it's, it, it's it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is about this middleweight thing, you know, it's like Mike just said, uh, uh, there's no options. There's no good options. And let me just put a face on that. <laughs> You've got, uh, I'm, I looked up the UFC's rankings here, uh, arbitrary though they are, uh, and you have... Luke Rockhold's a champion, obviously. Then you've got Chris Weidman, Yoel Romero, Jacare Souza, Vitor Belfort, number four, which really be that one. Um, Leoto Machida. Obviously beating 90-year-old Dan Henderson counts for something. Yeah, obviously. Uh, then you've got Leota Machida, who Rockhold has already destroyed. Tim Kennedy, who hasn't fought in... How, when was the last time Ken, Tim Kennedy fought? When he lost to Yoel Romero, September of 2013, I believe. Yeah. Man, you guys had that at the tip of your tongue. That's crazy. Um... And then uh, you've got Michael Bisping, Robert Whitaker, who I can't even remember what he looks like off the top of my head, uh, Gegard Mousasi, and Talos Latis. 
Where where is your title contender, man? Like th- well, that's rough. Obviously, Michael Bisping when he beats Anderson yeah. Silva in February. Yeah, that, that ain't <laughs> happening. But he uh, matched the Belfort one, by the way. It, did, it's, did, yeah. did, did you did you not? Did did it not come across how firmly my tongue was planted in my cheek? <laughs> Just we needed sarcasm font on that one. <laughs> sarcasm font for verbal comments yes it's, you know, it's sad because Rockwell Weidman was one of my dream matches I oh, yeah. want to see that so bad and and what we're left with is is just a complete disaster of a division right now here's the thing it, it wasn't that great of a fight because neither of them were at their best no it wasn't it wasn't and fight. and to Good be fight. honest and to be yeah. honest at their best we're going to see a better version of that with the same yeah. result I agree completely. I, I think if, they, if there's a rematch, I think Brockhold wipes the floor with him earlier. I, it just, I from the moment that fight was announced, I've, I've you can go back on this show to the archives from 2015, from after Rockhold mm-hmm. demolished Leota Machida. I have I've stayed oh, firm I've in, in my thought that he was going to more than likely beat Chris Weidman. Yeah. I still wasn't entirely sure how it was going to happen. I was incorrect in exactly how it played out. But the fact remains that Luke Rockhold, the way that he has been fighting since losing to Vitor Belfort, is as someone who is absolutely the very best middleweight in the world in this sport. I, I There is no one at 185 in 2016 that Luke Rockhold cannot beat. No, It'd and, be badly. And you're, you're. St- I'm starting to. Yeah, I'm starting to look for people at uh, 205 that can maybe drop down to find a challenger because you're right. There just there really isn't anyone no. at this point. All right. Uh, moving on from there, we've got a couple of other uh, uh, little topics that I want to get to, but let's talk about Sunday's card because I want to. I, I want to give it appropriate time because the top two fights, at least deserve considerable conversation here because we've got TJ Dillashaw fighting Dominic Cruz for the UFC Bantamweight Championship, and we've got Anthony Pettis against Eddie Alvarez in what is a criminally overlooked lightweight fight because of the way that this schedule has played out. Um, Right at the top here, TJ Dillashaw, uh, Mike, you and I were in attendance for his his second absolute decimation of Henan Barrow last July. Dominic Cruz looked fantastic against Takei Mitsugaki when he returned from a three-year layoff, uh, but he's been out a year and a half since then. And he's been fighting four years or something, it's, sixty-one it's, seconds in the yeah. octagon. Years. It's yeah. yeah it, we're, we're we're January of 2016, and he has just the fight with Takei Mitsugaki since uh, what was it, October of 2011. Yeah. 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 It was the, his fight against Demetrius Johnson. And and here's here's the thing with this matchup. You know, Dominic Cruz, he's he has talked circles around TJ Dillashaw. He has made <laughs> TJ Dillashaw look every bit the meathead jock type guy <laughs> who has no analytical critical thinking in him that 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 he's wanted to portray. That doesn't mean anything for the fight itself. It really, it really does not. What we have here is a fighter in Dominic Cruz who might be 
one of the best defensive fighters to ever compete in this sport. He is so good at not getting hit, at not taking damage, and not letting people dictate how his fights go. And you have a guy in TJ Dillashaw who has added to his game so much that he absolutely destroyed Hennem Barrow twice when Barrow was another of those fighters who had never really been taught. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Had, had never been challenged. Had never faced any adversity until he ran into TJ Dillashaw. This is such a fantastic fight at 135 pounds it's it's really unfortunate that people don't that that so many people don't see it that way and i know you guys are with me on this so i'm i'm not i'm not placing this on you but Sean why why <laughs> is it seen this way oh jeez that's the million dollar question isn't it i i think um you know, the easy answer is because they're they're bantamweights, they're the little guys, and there's not enough interest in that division. Uh, I think Conor McGregor has kind of shown us that that in and of itself is not uh, necessarily a detriment. Um, but there's there has not been a lot of emphasis on the on the bantamweight division just throughout the history of its existence. There hasn't been a lot of emphasis on it. Uh, I think that probably changes if you have a more dynamic personality, and to be frank, a more dynamic English-speaking personality than than Hennem Burrell. Um, Racist. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, it's, Sorry. You're good. And, but it's, I mean, that's what it is, though. You know, that's. I think that's a, at least a part of it. There was not someone at the top of the division that was capturing the imagination of the UFC fans, and it's or the casual fans, really, because I think everybody that was watching. Uh, through the Barrow era, uh, knew what kind of things we were seeing from him. Where you know he was a he was he was a fun guy to watch, and and he uh, was great. You know he was untouchable, like you said. And just to put it again in perspective, how long Dominic Cruz has been out? He was out for the entire Hennem Barrow era, which you know seemed to last for basically the entirety of the uh, the bantamweight division's existence. So, uh, yeah, it, he's been out for a long time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I think that's what it is. You know, there, there just hasn't been someone, there hasn't been that one guy who has um, captured everyone's imagination. That's that's pretty much what you're looking at. Well, you know, I, I think more so than a lot of other divisions, you know, you have that additional hurdle of size to overcome. They they really do need that guy so much more than, you know, light heavyweight or heavyweight or, you know, as, as a... As a guy, you know, I look at uh, I look at Demetrius Johnson. I have to think one of two things: it's either 
wow, I could take that guy because he's so tiny and I don't need to watch that. Or that tiny guy could kick my ass and I don't want to think about that. <laughs> so it, it, it's, you automatically have that, that to overcome when you're dealing with combat sports athletes that are you know, fighting at a weight that is much smaller than most of us walk around at. Yeah, and it's 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 such a an unfortunate perception that these divisions have gotten, and it's one of the reasons that Demetrius Johnson remains massively underappreciated for what he has done. Just objectively speaking, what Demetrius Johnson has done at 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 flyweight has been legitimately fantastic, and mm-hmm. and among the best work of any of the champions that the UFC's had in the last several years. But that subjective line of thinking is one of the things that has continued to hold him back and continued to hold back uh, a, a lot of what's what's happening here. I mean, really, we haven't had a lighter weight star the likes of uh, Conor McGregor since BJ Penn was lightweight champion. And... Uh, we'll, we'll get to that just for Rich's sake. Oh gosh. In a little bit, but just, that's, that's a little, that's a little teaser for later, but right now at it, at featherweight, at flyweight, at bantamweight, there is so much happening. There's so much talent in this sport, but a lot of these guys are victims of the way that the UFC has promoted things. And... Yeah, you you have you have personalities who will always break out above the fold and above the rest of the pack. Conor McGregor is that. Ronda Rousey has been that. And you see a guy like T.J. Dillashaw, despite his skills, struggling with that aspect of things. I, I, I saw a quote from him this week talking about how, you know, they're... Uh, the fighters are—they're uh, having to promote themselves a lot more than they—they they used to have to. I, I think he's—he's he's a guy who's—who's who's used to getting the UFC's backing, or at, at least used to to getting the machine a little bit behind him, rather than him having to to do the legwork. And you saw in that really awkward sit down with yeah, John Anik in between him and and, and Cruz. It, it's well, and and it's. I feel bad for him in that situation because it's it's clear that that's not his strength. It's oh, not. It, it's that, it was an assassination. They knew they knew yes. from, from the jump that Dominic Cruz was going to talk circles around. Oh, him. and and, and, and to, to Cruz's credit, he is a fantastic analyst. He's he tremendous. knows what he's looking at. He's extremely analytical. He's extremely intelligent, and he knows what he has to do implementing that is an entirely different story on Sunday. And that's just come back to this fight and the fight itself, the matchup itself. Dominic Cruz knows exactly what he needs to do to beat TJ Dillashaw. I don't know that he can pull it off. And that is what makes this fight so intriguing because TJ Dillashaw with what he did to Henan Burrell in front of my eyes in the arena at the United center in July and with what he did to Henan Burrell the first time around, I, it's it's a, it's one of those situations where I really have a hard time doubting his ability to take out Dominic Cruz. I saw Uriah Faber knock Dominic Cruz down several times. I think T.J. Dillashaw in 2016 is better than Uriah Faber could have hoped to be in 2011. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Actually, I, I've got I've got TJ Dillashaw winning this fight. Um, I, I don't know that it's going to be a blowout, but just looking, you know, even if you even if you uh, allow that their styles are identical, um, even if you allow for that, uh, TJ Dillashaw seems to fight with more power than than Dominic Cruz does. I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen Dominic Cruz get in there and you know, uh, be completely unhittable for the entirety of a fight, uh, but still not be able to finish a guy. Um, and whether that's, you know, it, it's not always fair to say that, that, that uh, you know, he can't finish a guy, so therefore he didn't get finishes. Um, but, uh, you know, if, you, if you're comparing styles and, and they're that similar, you know, the evasive guy who um, gets in pot shots when he can, uh, if you're comparing those two from a style standpoint, I think it's fair to say, that T.J. Dillashaw employs a similar style with more power, and and I think you know that's what's going to be his undoing. I'm going to disagree slightly because I think T.J. Dillashaw is infinitely more aggressive than Dominic Cruz has ever been. That's I think that's fair. That's, that's I fair. think I think that's that's the key difference is Dillashaw is fast. He moves quickly. He does avoid damage, but he is a lot more aggressive and less of a counterfighter than Dominic Cruz has ever been. Cruz has always been about making his opponents miss and picking his spots. He's been fantastic at that. He's been elite at that. What he did to Joseph Benavidez, what he did to Uriah Faber, what he did to Demetrius Johnson is get out of their way and get in with his offense when he had his moments. TJ Dillashaw is going to make his moments happen, regardless of what his opponent is doing. And that, I think, is a key difference in the approach of the two, and I think might be the difference on Sunday night. Mike, what do you think we're seeing in in this main event? Going back to uh, Cruz Faber, too, I, I thought that fight was actually pretty close, yeah. uh, or at least a little closer than, than you know, I had initially I'll, expected. I'll say, Rich, Rich covered that card for the mm-hmm. site that night. He scored it for your eye of favor. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I, I, uh, I was leaning toward favor at, at the end of that fight as well, but and I, I didn't have a huge problem with the decision. Favor connected a number of times. You know, this was back in 2011, one of, the, uh, one of the few fights that Cruz had over the past five years or so. Uh, favor, favor was able to connect uh, hard, and... Dillashaw is one of those rare bantamweights that has legitimate knockout power. You don't see this much at 135 pounds, but I think it's five of his last six wins have been by knockout, something like that. It's, that's that's a great streak for any weight class. And to see that at 135 pounds for a guy who's that fast and throws that many punches as accurately as he does, I've got Dillashaw taking this fight all day. Uh, I'm hoping for a very great, very competitive uh, fight, but I, I think between Dillashaw's skill set, his, his amazing footwork, and the fact Cruz has just fought so infrequently in the past couple of years, I, I don't I don't think Cruz will be able to pull it off. The co-main event on uh, Sunday night is a fight that itself easily could have headlined a fight night event, and honestly, I would have preferred five rounds between these two, but... We're getting Anthony Pettis against Eddie Alvarez in a fight that, I don't know, three, two years ago, three years ago, would have been considered a dream matchup. 
it's still a fantastic fight. It's yeah, lost a little pretty. bit. Of, it's lost a little bit of luster with uh, Alvarez's loss to Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis getting to, uh, just manhandled by Rafael dos Anjos. Um, this is a point-proving fight for both guys. You know, Eddie Alvarez's one UFC win was uh, a very close, I think, justifiable split decision win over Gilbert Melendez. Anthony Pettis, after looking amazing against Benson Henderson and the aforementioned Gilbert Melendez, then just, I, I, I don't know what happened in the Rafael Dos Anjos fight for him. It was what happened against Clay Guida, except a legitimate loss. I, I, Anthony Pettis had had nothing in that fight in March, which was shocking. No one thought Rafael Dos Anjos was coming in to do that. Perception has changed a lot in a year, is what I'm saying. Uh, I think Anthony Pettis comes back strong on Sunday night. I really do. I think stylistically, Eddie Alvarez is is absolutely capable of pressing pace and and affecting what Pettis does to an extent. I don't think he's got enough of that that smothering nonstop pressure that we saw from Rafael Dos Anjos to, uh, to take Pettis out here. I, re- I really think there are two fighters who are the bane of Pettis' existence in this lightweight division. That's Dos Anjos. That is uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. Those are the two fighters who stylistically have an edge over Anthony Pettis anytime that they're going to fight. Anthony Pettis against anyone else in this lightweight field, I think he takes out. I think he takes out Eddie Alvarez on Sunday night, and I think he's going to do it in uh, fairly convincing fashion, to be honest. And I say this as someone who really likes Eddie Alvarez. So I, I, I'm, I really think Anthony Pettis comes back big on Sunday night. Mike, how do you see this one playing out? I, I see it the same way as, as you do. I, I really like Alvarez a lot, and I think he's what we've seen against Pettis is the way – to beat him is to keep him on his heels, not allow him to, you know, pick you apart, particularly with those very brutal kicks that he likes to throw. And if you can keep him backing up, keep close, and, and make the fight dirty, you know, Melendez had success doing that uh, for a while. Benson Henderson had success doing that for a while. Where they failed was uh, Pettis was able to find enough daylight to catch him with something. Uh, he caught Melendez, I believe, with uh, it was a left. It was it, it was several combinations in there as Melendez was trying to press. He Melendez kind of got himself rocked a little bit before that got brought to the ground. And with uh, with Henderson, it was it was kicks uh, kicks to the midsection to the body. Yeah, and <laughs> it's another 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 one that I was uh, in attendance for, and you could hear those kicks in the arena. Uh, I I. I <laughs> I have so much respect for anyone who has ever taken a liver shot, the, the likes of which we've seen Anthony Pettis deliver to Benson Henderson and Donald Cerrone. Anyone who has taken a body shot like that from any professional fighter, I, I, I would feel like I would die. I think I would within die. Within two seconds. <laughs> I, I just, I can't imagine the immeasurable pain that would be felt in that moment. And that's where, you know, Pettis, he, he, he's able to, he's not a big guy at that weight class, not by any means. And that's why he's, you know, constantly getting bull rushed and, and having guys close distance and try to push him around. 
that he f- somehow was able to find an inch here or there, or just a moment to pick his spots and and hit people hard. Just the amount of fast twitch muscle that kid must have is is mind boggling. And that's where you know, Dos Anjos never just never gave him that opportunity. Popped him in the eye right at the beginning of the fight and just never let up. I don't see Alvarez having that type of ability. He's not as big. Uh, he's he's a tough guy. I give him all the credit in the world. And he's come out and said his ability to take damage is going to be a huge factor in the fight. I don't think he... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Understands what type of damage Pettis is capable of inflicting on him. And I, I have Pettis finishing this one uh, second round at the latest. Alvarez's issue coming in is he's already taken so much damage in his career. Yeah. That's that's one of the big factors in this fight is, yeah, he he's consistently bounced back. He's 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 been hard to put away. Uh, you know, his, his two fights with Michael Chandler were absolutely epic. But... Man, that that's a lot of damage to take and a lot of damage to sustain. He took a lot of damage against Donald Cerrone in a loss. He took a lot of damage against Gilbert Melendez in a win. He's going to take even more against Anthony Pettis. And even in a three-round fight here, I don't see him winning uh, a majority of the, uh, of the exchanges in this one. In a, in a short fight with... What Anthony Pettis knows he needs to do to get back to a title fight, I, I, I really have a hard time doubting Pettis' ability to finish this fight. Sean, what do you see in this matchup? I'm with you guys, um, and I'm, I'm a big uh, Eddie Alvarez fan. I love Eddie Alvarez. Um, but it, what it comes down to is he's too hittable. Um, he's You can get to him, we, and if Anthony We Pettis all come can't... off like disingenuous assholes right now because we're I know. all like, we love Eddie Alvarez! <laughs> yeah. But he's, he's 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 dying on Sunday in Boston. Yeah, I, it, it's hard to it's hard to deny it, man. I I mean, I, I love watching Eddie Alvarez, but he I don't see him being able to beat Anthony Pettis. Same. I, it's just it's a bad matchup, and I I kind of hope that this leads to him uh, trying out featherweight. You know, I I'm not a guy who loves telling uh, you know trying to dictate where fighters should fight, but I really think he'd be a better. I think he'd have a better shot at things at, at, at featherweight. He just when he got in there with Donald Cerrone, it just it, it looked like guys in two different weight classes. How and entertaining would a fight between Frankie Edgar and Eddie Alvarez be? Seriously, seriously. Good I mean, uh... yeah, it'd be great. I think that would be that would be a fantastic fight. There's a lot. Of, there's featherweight might be the best division in MMA right now, and you know I, I think I think it's just a better fit for his size. You know I I, I know guys don't like cutting weight, but uh, I, I just got to think that he's got a better shot at things um, away from these monsters of lightweight. Oh, and it's, it's, he's, he's so he was so close to being zero and two after being yeah. a huge free agent acquisition for the UFC. Uh, I know he said he doesn't want to want to drop to one forty five, but I, I agree with you, Sean. It really is the best move for him right now, and there's a lot of really intriguing matchups for him at that weight class as well. 
All right, we're all on board with an Anthony Pettis win here on Sunday night. So if that does indeed come to pass, what's happening for him? Because we've got Conor McGregor fighting for that title, and Tony Ferguson's now in the mix at lightweight. Uh, Nurmagomedov is coming back. Uh, well, at, at quote some... unquote. <laughs> <laughs> quote unquote, yes, thank you. Um, he is supposedly coming back at some point this year. Um, that once again, lightweight has become really intriguing, and I, I'm I'm curious to see what you guys think on what happens next for uh, both of these guys. I I I think we we're all in agreement that if Alvarez loses, featherweight's the move. So if Pettis wins, is is he getting Conor McGregor in October for the lightweight title? Or is he fighting someone else this summer to set up who fights Conor McGregor in the fall for the lightweight title? Should McGregor beat Rafael Dos Anjos? I was going to say, are you betraying your pick here for that fight? But uh, <laughs> I, I think I, if Anthony Pettis wins this fight in convincing fashion, which uh, my, my bet is that he will, um, I think I think he gets a title shot. And I don't think that he shouldn't. I, th- I think, uh, you know, even, even having that loss be pretty convincing against Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, you know, the, the thing is, if you don't put Pettis in there, who are you going to put in there uh, for a title shot? You know, it's not going to be... I, uh, unless you put Tony Ferguson. Well, and here's the, here's the other thing, too. All right. think Take it both ways. If Dos Anjos wins, it changes the dynamic at lightweight a bit as well because no one has to wait for Conor McGregor to, to fight Frankie Edgar. So if in, in that scenario... Are we going to see Dos Anjos Pettis 2 this summer? Or are we going to see Ferguson leapfrog Pettis, depending on what happens here? I, you know, I don't think you can give Ferguson the shot yet. I, I, he's the next logical candidate, assuming a Pettis win. If Alvarez wins, Alvarez get, can have the shot. But Nurma Gomenov has been out too long. Cerrone, I'm just going down the rankings here, isn't even really in the division anymore. Uh, you know... There's Alvarez, and then there's Ferguson. Michael Johnson lost. Nate Diaz got beat by Dos Anjos badly, and he's too far down the rankings. And then we're at uh, Benito Dariush. So, I mean, outside of Pettis, there, or outside the winner of this fight, there isn't anyone to give the, the shot to at this point. I don't think Ferguson's ready to leapfrog yet. I think he needs one more win. Sean? I agree. Um, I, I love Tony Ferguson. I, I think he's going to be, he's going to, whoever is at the top of the lightweight division when he gets his title shot, and I think he will, he's going to give him fits, and I think he's got a pretty good shot to win it. Um, okay, with, but, with, with, with both of you saying that, is the fight to make Tony Ferguson against the returning Nurmagomedov? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no question. If, 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 if Nurmagomedov comes back, which I'm not, you know, I'm not sold on. Um, <laughs> then, then yes, I, I think uh, I think that's definitely the, the, the fight to make. No question. Well, I'll, I'll say it's it makes a ton of sense if you want to do things that make sense. Um, <laughs> but who wants to do that? Yeah, the reason the reason I potentially don't make that fight is just because you know running down this list, uh, both of those guys are top contenders for a title shot, and to burn one of them uh, at this point. I'd rather not see that. Um, I'd like to see both of them get a title shot. And if you match them against each other, one of them is going to take a huge step back. So that, that, that's the reason I wouldn't make it. But just from a ranking standpoint and, and from, you know, um, 
a logical standpoint, if we want to do that, uh, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to, to match those two up against each other. Uh, Sunday's card, uh, we, we've actually got it, it's 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 been racked by injuries, but for once, it's been all on the undercard and not on the the main portion of the event. Um, and even still, some of the undercard fights are are, are still quite intriguing. It's not a bad card for Boston, uh, for, for a fight night event. And with the push following the, uh, NFC playoffs on Fox on Sunday, uh, this is really all about the main card anyway. So, uh, I'm, I'm just going to quick run down what we have coming on Sunday for the prelims. Um, we're not going to have a ton of the, of, um, coverage on the prelims themselves, Sunday outside of some quick results, uh, and we will have full play-by-play for the main card as it kicks off, I believe, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Sunday night. Uh, so I'll, I will ask you guys about Travis Brown, Matt Mitrione, and Ross Pearson, Francisco Trinaldo in just a minute, but I want to run down the rest of the card quick. As it stands right now, we've got Patrick Cote against Ben Saunders in uh, a relatively intriguing welterweight fight. Tim Boach against Ed Herman at light heavyweight. A couple of former middleweights fighting at 205. Chris Wade taking on uh, Meji Baghdad uh, as a late replacement. Um, I believe that's his second or third um, late replacement fight. Uh, regardless, he is fighting um, an ultimate fighter competitor from this last season. Maximo Blanco taking on Luke Sanders. That is the Fox Sports 1 prelims on Fight Pass. Paul Felder fights Darren Cruikshank in a fight that very well could be on uh, FS1 as well. Charles Rosa now taking on Kyle Bochniak. He was originally supposed to fight uh, what was that? Uh, Jimmy Hedis, then uh, Augusto Mendez, a BJ, BJJ black belt, stepped in on short notice, and then literally a day after signing that fight, pulled out due to injury, Charles Rosa is now fighting Kyle Bochniak, his third scheduled fight on uh, this card. Alir Latifi takes on Sean O'Connell, Rob Font fights Joey Gomez, and Fransamar Baroche takes on uh, WSOF vet Elvis Mutopchik. All right, back to the main card. Uh, Just some quick thoughts here on these final two, two fights with your predictions on uh, how they play out. We've got Travis Brown at heavyweight against Matt Mitrione. Uh, Brown, I believe this is his first fight since the lost Arlovsky and the first fight since the revelation that he is, as uh, Mike put it in the uh, round table this week, Mr. Rousey. Um, huh. And he's taking on Matt Mitrione, Ross Pearson taking on Francisco Trinaldo at lightweight. Mike, how do these two fights uh, play out? Well, Mitrion's so outmatched here, or at least he really should be. And if Brown can't beat him, uh, I don't even I don't know what to make of Travis Brown anymore. Brown is very athletic. He's got such great size. And I, I really feel like the UFC is, is giving him a gift here, an opponent who's not only um, not at nearly the skill level that Brown is, but also very uh, finishable. And uh, I expect that, that he's going to knock him out uh, relatively early in the fight and, and hopefully uh, you know, get back on that trajectory uh, toward a heavyweight title shot, which I 
so thought was coming a while back. Yeah, the, the Pearson Trinaldo fight is. I'm hoping it's going to be a fun fight. I'm leaning toward Pearson in this one. Um, Trinaldo's looked really good lately, though, and I and I think it might be more that I'm just I'm just a fan of Pearson. I I, I love the guy. I love watching him fight. Uh, he brings it. He's he's somehow gotten more power since he's moved back up to lightweight. Um, but I, yeah, I'm going Brown and Pearson with these two. Yeah, I, Pearson's Pearson's so inconsistent that it's hard to get a read on him. Mm-hmm. Is is my issue with it? I mean, it, uh, he, he has he has two legitimate losses since 2012, um, when he lost to Cub Swanson at featherweight. Uh, when he, he he's since he's come back to to lightweight, the the two legitimate losses are the the stoppage loss to Ally Kenta, and then losing to Evan Dunham last July. Uh, but outside of that, it's, you know, he has an, uh, uh, no contest with uh, taking the, the illegal knee against Melvin Gillard. And then, that was going to be a loss. And then the, one of the single worst decisions it's in the, the history of the UFC against Diego Sanchez. <laughs> so, it's the worst one I've seen. Yeah. But, I mean, outside, he, he, he stopped Gray Maynard. He knocked out Sam Stout. He beat Paul Felder in a competitive fight in September. So it's... He's got it in him to be a very good fighter. He's also so inconsistent oh, that, you know, Trinaldo on a four-fight winning streak with several competitive fights under his belt could very well make this a, a easy fight for him as well. That's I, I, I think there's some intrigue on, on, on that level. Uh, Sean? Trinaldo, oh, I was going to say, Trinaldo looked so, he looked so good in his last fight, too. I mean, you know, as short as it was. Yeah. Uh, for for a guy that that is should be at the uh, tail end of his career, he's you know, hey, he's trying to make one last run or trying to, trying to stick around a little bit longer. I don't know what. He he stopped Chad Laprise in two and a half minutes, and Laprise was a guy who entered that fight ten and zero. Mm-hmm. So, Trinaldo's still got something there. Um, Sean, these two fights, what do you what, what do you see happening Sunday night? Uh, I, I, first of all, I, I really like both fights. Um, I, I'm definitely on board with Travis Brown winning against Matt Mitrione, and, and Mike said it the best that you can say it. He, he, um, Mitrione is just outmatched here. He's, uh, frankly, um, simply put, Travis Brown is the is the better fighter, um, and that's that's that. So, <laughs> you know, the best shot that Mitrione has is, is landing a landing some kind of lucky punch. Um, which is not out of the question. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So that makes it a fun fight. You know, anytime heavyweights get in there with five-ounce gloves, you know, you're going to run into some fun times. So, well, I shouldn't say anytime. I mean, we do have Rochel uh, taking fights <laughs> from time to time. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, the uh, Pearson-Trinaldo fight, that's actually a really interesting fight for, for the reasons that you guys brought up. Uh, Ross Pearson, I think, on his best day wins that fight, but who knows if it's going to be his best day. And really, I think even on his best day, Trinaldo gives him some trouble. So I, I would have to go with Trinaldo uh, in this fight. But with, with that being said, um, it is completely within the realm of possibility that Pearson pulls this out. I would have gone with, I, I think I went with Paul Felder in, in, uh, in Pearson's oh, last fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it, he... Pearson, I'll put it this way: Pearson has never ceased to to surprise me. <laughs> even even when, every time when I think I know his limits, um, he tends to he tends to go in there and beat a guy that I don't think he should beat. So, and, and I will I'll put this out there too: um, for my money, 
the Diego Sanchez win over Martin Campman is the worst decision ever. But, uh, you know, it still makes me – I fog up a little bit every time I think about it. But um, I, I uh, think the Pearson one is so much worse because at least Sanchez did some damage to Martin Campman in that fight. Yeah, it's fair enough. Martin, Cam- Martin, Martin Campman was bloodied up a bit, and at least there was some semblance of offense happening on Sanchez's part in that matchup. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It's Maybe it just hurts my feelings more. I don't know. But uh, yeah. either way, either way, bad decisions. Understand. <laughs> All right. Uh, got a few more things. I, uh, or j- actually, just what are, what are we on? Three more things that I want to touch on tonight uh, on this podcast before we before we go. Um, first up, let's talk a little bit about uh, the UFC's Reebok deal because um, we 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 got our first instances of fighters getting fined for non-compliance, and not only was it just it, it wasn't even random fighters; it was three of the more well-known lightweights on the UFC's roster in champ Rafael Dos Anjos, his challenger at UFC on Fox 17, Donald Cerrone, and the least surprising name to show up on a list of non-compliance <laughs> in Nate Diaz. Uh, all of them were fined for violations of the uh, athlete outfitting policy, as the corporate speak is concerned for the UFC's Reebok deal. Cerrone for uh, putting a patch on his shorts, which he has done for every fight, and it's uh, not surprising at all that his first fight under the Reebok deal featured some sort of issue. Um, And Rafael Dos Anjos, who wore an uh, Evolve MMA shirt to the weigh-ins, Diaz apparently had an issue with wearing jeans to the weigh-ins rather than Reebok apparel. Uh, Mike, I'm going to throw to you because I know uh, since the beginning you have at least had some type of positive attitude towards the Reebok deal uh, and have been uh, less skeptical than others regarding this issue. Do you have a problem with arbitrary fines of which we really don't even know the amount uh, the amounts of which uh, load the question up good Jamie I'm I'm, I'm really trying to load this up as much as possible Um, do do you have an issue with the way that this has all been implemented given that Dos Anjos himself uh, said that the fine was about $10,000 and Cerrone called it a ludicrous fine that he received uh, over Supposed violations of this athlete outfitting policy. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> take that one. I I do have some issues with it, and the let let me and you may very well know more about what's going on behind the scenes of this than I do. Um, from my understanding, there may have been some prior warnings issued, at least to Cerrone, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um. You know, there may be more going on that we're not quite aware of. One of the biggest problems I have with this, though, is from my understanding, the fines are just being withheld by the UFC. And unlike uh, the NFL or the NBA, where the where the fine money is then donated to charity, the money's just staying with the UFC. And 
is is nominal nominal as it may be there is suddenly a financial incentive here also for the UFC to find these fighters and I, and I don't I don't like that I don't think the money matters to them but I just I don't like even having a hint of that type of underhandedness that type now you can call it underhand for whatever other reason you want you may or may not be right but but that's the first thing um, that really strikes me as off about this donate to charity redistribute it to the fighters I don't know what but but the money should not stay with the UFC and if someone knows something about that that I don't please feel free to free to correct me but, but you're, you're right on obviously right on. obviously the fighters themselves don't even know what's happening because Cerrone's comments after he was challenging Reebok to match whatever the fine was, not realizing that Reebok had nothing to do with the fine itself. That That's the thing with this, this deal, is Reebok gave the UFC a certain amount of money to dole out in this deal. And it is all at the UFC's discretion on how it has been doled out. I think the final tally for the UFC in the first year of this deal was something like three and a half, maybe uh, it was under four million dollars, I believe. Well, and that's that's the big problem because it's, it's not great money for the fighters. And you know, one of the things I've said before is, look, if you're a new fighter and you come in and you sign with the UFC, you know what you're getting. Yes, the fighters that were currently under contract when this happened, they, they were screwed. <laughs> now their their deals that allow. Yeah, wait, for wait, you're actually <laughs> admitting that? No, no, I. I, I, never, I <laughs> <laughs> I've been consistent in saying that, that, that they were screwed. From the UFC's perspective, they're responsible for building their brand. Now, we can argue that maybe they're doing it the wrong way here with how this deal has panned out. Uniforms are ugly. Uh, they're making a horrible name for themselves. They look like bullies. Uh, they're taking money from their fighters. All of those things could be true. But the reason they're doing it is, you know, it's business reasons. Right or wrong, they're trying to build their brand. The fighters ultimately benefit from the brand. Cerrone, Dos Anjos, Diaz being fined, if they were warned, and this is something that their contracts and the fighter agreement allows them to do, I don't really feel that bad. I just, I just don't. I mean, I feel bad that they're not getting you know, the sponsorship money that, that maybe they should have gotten, Uh particularly if they were under contract when this deal hit. But if they knew they were going to get fined and they decided to accept it anyway, I just feel like complaining about it after the fact. It's like, look, man, you're, you, know, you know what's coming. Do it, don't do it, but don't complain about it. Here's, here's where I'm interested to see uh, just how this all goes down. Uh, how, how much money did Rafael Dos Anjos get, if any, to wear that Evolve shirt to the weigh-ins? Yeah. How yeah, much if, money... If it, cover, uh, <laughs> if it covers oh, the fine, who's going to be the next how, one to just pay how, for the fine? How much money are fighters going to get from outside sources to defy this order? And, uh, I, I, you know, we, we have the UFC threatening to not give Donald Cerrone a fight, but you know what? That... Well, that's a host. That's a host of other issues, right there. Yes, and that's and but, that's that's the thing. That's is, what is... you have to do. I, I mean, it's you. You can't, you know, because what's your? If fighters could, let's take the NBA. And I, okay, collective bargaining and all that stuff. Totally different game. But but let's say that um, 
you know, someone decides to wear whatever sponsor on their jersey, uh, what's going to happen to them? Well, it's not going to be allowed to play. It doesn't matter if you're LeBron James or if you're, you know, someone whose name I can't think of because no one knows him. You're, just, you're not going to be able to play. And that's that, – the UFC's hand is going to be forced here. But, again, serious difference between $5,000 fine on a $2 million minimum contract – as opposed to a five thousand dollar fine on forty thousand dollars in sponsorship money. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying what. What do you do well, if I, you're the C and you have a uniform policy that can be easily circumvented? Well, and, and and I abs. I, I mean, the UFC is doing what the, what they're probably going to need to do. But at the yeah. same time, the fighters then are they they kind of have it incumbent upon themselves to challenge that because they had no say in how this was implemented to begin with it it would be an interesting challenge and i think what we're headed toward is um and i think the ufc is gearing up for it too this is a, a issue that we've touched on before is uh the fighters becoming employees as opposed to independent contractors well i mean they probably should be at this point no i think they should it's ludicrous that they're not I, I don't think the UFC actually cares if their employees or not. It's, it's not going to do a whole lot to the UFC. Um, there's arguments to be made that this is actually going to be a lot worse for the fighters because the amount of control an employer has over an employee versus an independent contractor, um, which is coincidentally about the same amount of control the UFC has right now. But <laughs> exactly. It's just um, it's a lot closer to absolute, but that's – they, they are employees, and I think that the UFC, that's why they started doing the insurance, you know, of their own prerogative. I, I just I think they've been kind of geared up for that for a while. Well, yeah, and, and you know what? It, it's not to entirely vilify the UFC. They have, they, have, they have made steps to address things that other MMA organizations absolutely have not, without question. They, they have made moves, and they are paying fighters better than many other organizations do. But one of the big issues with the UFC in its current state is the fact that they continually want to compare themselves to the major organizations in sports. They continually want – they bring the comparisons upon themselves over mm-hmm. the other mainstream sports. And from a uh, comparison perspective, they're close – excuse me, they're close to uh, – value of the Dallas Cowboys, um, some of the other major soccer organizations in the world. That's, that's where they are comparable. And so obviously there's not money there to, to have a $400,000 minimum for a fighter being in the UFC, but that's not what people are asking for. What people are asking for, what, what needs to happen in the UFC, I believe is a culling of the roster to the point where if you're going to bring someone in and claim that this is the elite of the elite in MMA, they are worthy of being paid as a professional athlete. You shouldn't have fighters fighting in the UFC who need to hold down full-time jobs throughout a year because they don't make enough from fighting to be a full-time professional fighter. That's yeah. that's not how a pro- pro organization as the 
top organization in your sport is supposed to be. I, I would agree with that. But one of the differences here is it's in a lot of ways, the UFC really is its own minor league. And, and I know there's lots of smaller promotions out there that they draw from, but, but they also, to fill up fight cards, grow a lot of their own you know fighters picked from even you know lesser organizations. And if, if you look at the minor leagues in a lot of sports, they're not, and I think this goes to your point, by the way, you know, those, those players aren't making a ton of money. They're, they're not making much at all. Uh, the comparisons of the UFC to these other major sports organizations are, they're, they're wishful thinking, and um, it's an attempt to legitimize themselves in the eyes of the public, because you're right, they're worth as much as, as uh, maybe a single franchise in the NFL. You know, they're, they're not even close to there yet. Um, which is why this Reebok deal really hurts a, a lot of the fighters. And I think it's, um, I, I see what they were trying. It's really hard to argue that uh, it's been much of a success, though, on, on any level. Sean, I'll, I'll, I'll move over to you on this here, because it's, it, it really it really seems like a failure on, both ends because not only has the UFC received nothing but criticism about the Reebok deal, but the uniforms themselves have been panned for their look. Uh, the, the, the fight kits have been overpriced. The fighters have not been getting the money that um, was, was essentially promised by Dana White saying, you know, we wouldn't have done this deal if we couldn't subsidize what the fighters were losing, which was an entire crock of horseshit uh, at yeah. the beginning, um, but it, it it really seems like a deal that, despite the UFC's massive business down the stretch, has in in many ways harmed both brands. It's it's been no good for anyone. I don't see where the benefit has come from. I mean, I am I'm actually with Mike. You know, if he was bullish on it, because I am in favor of a uniform policy. I think whether it's because I am a manager by trade or whether it is because I, of my OCD of liking to see things that are not messy, um, I love like I like the idea of a uniform policy. I think it's a good idea, but the execution has been awful. Um, on both ends. Like you said, it's been terrible for Reebok because their product, I think, has sucked, and it's been terrible for the UFC because they have been made to look tired than they were before. Um, you know, what's worse? Is it imposing a sponsor tax that uh, de-incentivizes uh, uh, places to sponsor fighters or uh, forbidding them from, from sponsoring overall and then giving less money than, than they were getting in the first place? So, you know, it, it hasn't been good. It's not been a good look. Um, and I think also to, to Mike's point about the USC being its own minor league, there I think there is some merit to that. But at the same time, um, the, the the problem with that being a rationale for anything they do is that they don't differentiate between their minor league and their major league. So there's no outward uh, uh, there's no outward labeling of who is who would be the, the the guys that are on the lower level and who would be the guys that are on the upper level, other than card position. Um, and even that is is fluid sometimes as well. Or, or um, pay. But yeah, as far what's that? I said or or pay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's I, just I, it. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. 
Yeah, but um, you know, uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, the, the the uniform policy I think has been a disaster. It, it's been that nothing good has come of it. <laughs> you know, I, I can't think of anything good that's happened because of it. Well, and, you know, I, and, I, and I thought it was a good idea. I, I like the, uh, <laughs> I do like the champion hoodies, the black on black, but the price tag just keeps making me not buy one. I don't know. I think they're pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I know Jamie wants one for Christmas, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, at this pace, I don't know if any one of if any of us can guess who is actually going to be a champion by Christmas to oh, take yeah. well, one the other, of those. One. So, yeah. We'll see. A uh, couple more things here. Um, BJ Penn apparently wants to to return. Uh, that's that's uh, uh, apparently a thing. He is he's moved himself to. <laughs> Um, he he has moved himself to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's going to be working with Greg Jackson and the Jackson Winklejohn team. And he called out Nick Lentz once again. Uh, this all began last fall when he called out Nick Lentz uh, for an affiliation with Mike Dolce, uh, whom Lentz himself has not worked with um, since well before the call out by Penn. Um, I, I I have to give credit to Lentz, who has taken full advantage of uh, Penn invoking his name by uh, first last fall uh, posting a couple of uh, poems that absolutely ripped into BJ Penn and doing the same <laughs> with his response this week, uh, which was uh, – it, it's – I like Nick Lentz. I've met Nick Lentz. He's he used to be based here in Minnesota. I have had dinner with Nick Lentz. I'm throwing that out there as a full disclosure. I did not know that he had this in him with these written responses, because even in person, he doesn't talk like this. He doesn't come off like this. And yet he releases a couple of responses that are absolutely teardowns of BJ Penn. He, and he verbally, he, he like verbally eviscerated him. Yes. It was, it was amazing. It, was, it, yeah. it, it really, it really was. And, and uh, I, 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 I want, I want to read a couple of captions from this because I, I feel that it needs to be said out loud. <laughs> and only part of this is in spite of Rich Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that only part of it is that, but I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> I, I say this as, as as I still hold Rich as one of my best friends, although he probably won't feel that after we <laughs> go through this here. All right. Um, I'm not fighting in March. Neither are you. You may imagine you are, and the imbeciles you surround yourself with may not in agreement like the trained dogs they are, but you aren't fighting in March. That's that's just one piece. It's a piece. Yeah. Give, it, after he laid his conditions out, give these conditions some thought. They're non-negotiable. They're rules you will abide by, or you can go whistle. I have a contract and plenty of guys to fight. As a narcissist, you have nothing but an image, and you need attention. 
You have all the money you could ever spend, but it doesn't satisfy you. I have what you need. I'm in charge. You can do what narcissists usually do when confronted by a higher power. Slink away. Or you can confront your needs, realize I can fulfill them, and come to terms with me, looming over you, holding the whip hand. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. It's it's so good. It's it's just it's. You can go to Greg Jackson's. You can go to Jermaine Jackson's. You can list them to Mahalia Jackson. You can resurrect Jackson fucking Pollock to paint you a better picture of yourself than one than the one we will all see. But you're an unclaimed, busted down, busted down suitcase on a dusty shelf in an abandoned bus terminal. Accept my conditions or rot in obscurity. Nick Lentz, your boss. <laughs> I didn't think he had that in him. And, and look, look. Nick Lentz's performances in the cage have been very inconsistent. He's had some great ones. He's had some really entertaining fights. He's had some really poor fights. He's not the best fighter in the world. He's not the best lightweight. He's not the best featherweight. He's a very talented fighter. In 2016, he can absolutely beat the 26 to 2016 version of BJ Penn. That's It's the 2016 version of BJ Penn. We're not talking about BJ Penn opening up a goat vagina on Diego Sanchez's forehead. We are talking about BJ Penn after getting demolished by Nick Diaz, demolished by Rory McDonald, and having the crap beat out of him by Frankie Edgar, all three of which are results that Rich Hansen refuses to acknowledge. Man. You know, if yeah. we're, uh, if BJ Penn's head has just been in the wrong place ever since he lost to Edgar. I mean, look at what the guy did. You know, he, he's one of those fighters who always wants to take the most impossible, illogical challenge. And he did that. He could have still been competitive at lightweight. Who knows who he could have beat? Maybe he could have beaten everyone, but Frankie Edgar. But he moves up to 170, where he's so vastly undersized, and just gets the crap beat out of himself. I mean, and then and then you know he comes back to fight Edgar, drops to a weight he's never been at before, comes in with the worst. I don't know that was, was that a game plan. He was like walking on his tiptoes, standing straight up, and and just with no offense whatsoever. I really feel like had BJ Penn stuck around at 155, he might have earned another title shot once Edgar got knocked off. I, I mean, he's still, he's 37, it's old, but there's been fighters at his age, that, it's old for a fighter, sorry, I'm older than 37, but um, there's there's been fighters at his age that have done well, and I still, part of me still thinks Penn is so talented if he could just get his head on straight and... You know, get some good coaching, hopefully from Jackson. He may be able to beat Nick Lance. I feel stupid for saying this, but I still kind of think he can at 155. I mean, I, Mike, I'm kind of disappointed you didn't go into the, to the realm of responses you sent to Rich over email this week because that was that was <laughs> among the highlights of my week was that the exchanges between the two of you. Um, uh. Which I, which, which he threatened to murder but, me by so uh, <laughs> uh, shot. Sapir was Rich Hansen. Just I'm gonna put that out there. Uh, Sean. Sean. 
Yes. Talking sense into me, Sean. <laughs> in in the realm uh. of in the realm of if only BJ Penn would show up. <laughs> our, man, our, 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 here's our, the thing, man. Are 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 we talking? <laughs> I feel like my credibility disappeared. <laughs> are we are, are we talking UFC 194? Are we talking UFC 107? Are we talking UFC 118? What version of BJ Penn showing up? Are we uh, are we talking? Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. And, and you know, I, I'm being completely, I'm being completely straightforward here. I don't know if BJ Penn's motivation levels or work levels have ever changed. I I think, quite honestly, I don't I don't know if BJ Penn has ever done more preparation for any fight his, than any other. I think he has been carried through by his never... talent. His motivation levels shouldn't have ever changed because no one has ever done anything except for tell him what he wants to hear. Right, exactly. And and he's gotten through on his talent, which is exceptional. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is hands down. He is hands down one of the great lighterweight champions the sport has ever seen. His run... Against yeah. Jens Pulver, Joe Stevenson, Sean Shirk, Kenny Florian, Diego Sanchez, as good as any fighter. But he couldn't yeah. just let it be that. Yeah. To me, to think at this point that we're going to get anything different out of BJ Penn than we've, than we've ever gotten is 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 just foolhardy. And I, which does not mean I'm not calling Mike foolhardy. Hey, I'm just yeah. saying... I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. And, and I mean, if, if, not, I'm, I if I'm Nick Lentz, yeah. <laughs> if I'm if I'm Nick Lentz, I am doing the happy dance that BJ Penn is calling me out in 2016. I could not. I'm thinking, what have I done right in my life that BJ Penn is calling me out in 2016? Oh no, I doubt. Can, like I can't believe my luck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where where is Nick Lentz on anybody's radar? I like Nick Lentz. But man, he he's not popping up on anybody's radar as far as relevance is concerned, you know, at least to the level of BJ Penn. But uh, and and I will also add this: uh, slam poetry is probably the greatest comeback to anything ever. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's pretty much it doesn't get any better than that. It really doesn't. All right. Uh, yeah, I, All I, right. I just don't I, I don't see anything different happening from BJ Penn's camp that we've ever seen than we've ever seen before. I don't think he lasts in, in Jackson's camp. Um, and, and if he does, I don't see anything changing in fight night. Honestly, I mean, he can learn whatever he wants to with, with Jackson Winklejohn. I don't see him doing anything different than what he always does on fight night. Man, I will so look like a genius if he wins a fight. <laughs> which, which, is, which, is like, which is exactly the opposite of how I'm coming across right now. So. <laughs> I, I, I recall reading this week that you think that you could beat BJ Penn, so. <laughs> I, I, may have, I may have said something like that. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I want to close out tonight with uh, some appreciation and discussion on the welterweight division uh, because we were not here last week to discuss 
the epic fight we got between Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler at UFC 195, and uh, it would be a disservice of us to not at least uh, give some appreciation to what very well could be the fight of the year by the end of 2016. Uh, They set a massively high bar uh, on January 2nd. I, I still, upon multiple rewatches of that fight, think Carlos Condit should have gotten the decision. Uh, I'm going to be very sad if he decides to retire without having that title around his waist, which he very well may do. But we also might get a uh, a rematch out of this. Um, and given the state of the welterweight field, it might be the most justified matchup to make. Mike, I'll throw to you first here. What what did you think of the fight itself? Is are you as high on it as I am? I know there there are some people who, for whatever reason, are not, and that's that's fine. Yeah, that's well. their prerogative. I honestly loved that fight, especially the fifth round, which I think is one of the most thrilling fifth rounds I've ever seen in the UFC. Um, I think Carlos Condit won that fight, but even then. It, what Robbie Robbie Lawler did in that fifth round, it's it's such a great fight. It's such a crazy fight. It's such a crazy division, um, and I, I really just think I want to see it again. I'm right there with you. I absolutely want to see it again. I I thought Condit won the fight, and you know the majority of um, I think the majority of MMA pundits surveyed had had the same feeling. Not it wasn't a unanimous thing and you know there is an argument to be made that Lawler did win it's it is the minority argument however but given particularly given the state of the welterweight division right now there isn't a very compelling challenger for Lawler's Lawler's title currently outside of Condit I don't really want to see Woodley Hendricks can't make weight Rory McDonald um just fought him you know Damian Maya needs another win. Matt Brown, and, you know, they were too far down the food chain. So run it again. Uh, I'd love to see it. I thought it was a fantastic fight. All right, guys, since Rich Hansen is not here to do it tonight, Ben Askren is still not in this conversation. <laughs> Why? Why? How have we had? How have we not had Rich Hansen on the phone tonight? And we've talked about BJ Penn and Ben Askren. Well, he tried to get on earlier and cut off happens. our recording because that's what happens when you're trying rich to thing. Skype yeah. in from your your car on the way home, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I I will probably have him on uh, some audio communications next week to rip into the two of you and me as I'm talking oh, I, I to him because no that's just. That's, that's how it's going to go. Well, that's, that's how it usually how goes. Go. He'll, have, he'll have all this time to think of comebacks and, <laughs> uh, and and claim that he was thinking them as he listened to the original audio. You know. Just wait. Just wait till the next time we have him live because he's he's going to store all of this and we're all going to hate our lives because of it. <laughs> it's true. It's a true thing that you're saying. Sean, Carlos Condit, yes. welterweight division, Robbie Lawler as champion. Is that the right thing right now? Do you think Carlos Condit fights again? Do you think Carlos Condit fights again if he does not get the Robbie Lawler fight? Uh, now, I think that is the most intriguing question. Um, to me, and I am with you guys, I, I had Carlos Condit winning that fight. I was 
frankly, I was, I, I don't have it up there with, you know, one of the great robberies, um, but I thought it was a pretty clear decision in favor of Carlos Condit. I was pretty stunned that there were uh, people whose opinions I usually respect that had uh, Robbie Lawler win in that fight. I was, I was shocked. Um, and, you know, I, and even upon rewatching the fight, I, I don't see, I don't see a valid argument in favor of Robbie Lawler winning the fight. And, and this is not a, a knock on Lawler at all. I love Robbie Lawler. <laughs> and that fight was absolutely tremendous. And he, and you know, that, that fifth round was epic. Um, but I, but I think Carlos Condon won the fight, and I, I think they should run it back again. I, I don't think that there is another challenger out there who has a better claim to a title shot, even uh, Teron Woodley. I, I don't see, um, uh, I, I don't see that. I don't see another challenger more compelling than than Carlos Carlos Condon at this point, and I think that, that they should do it again. Here's here's the thing with that fight. It's it, it, the the third round was the swing round, but. Yeah. I really think that there is more of a case for a 10-8 fourth round for Carlos Condit, 10-10 in the third, 10-10 in the second, or 10-9 Condit, than there is for Robbie Lawler getting a 10-9 in the third round. I agree. I, I think I think you could almost make a better case that Carlos won that Carlos Condit won the fifth round than Lawler winning the third round. I won't go that far because there was so much damage done in the, I'm going in the that fifth far. round. I'm going I, that I, can't, far. I can't go that far. For as much for as much as Condit landed in that fifth round, he got his ass kicked. I don't disagree. He, but, and that's my, that's but my but point remains that the third round was for Carlos Condit. I, I there's there's more of an argument for Carlos Condit winning the first four rounds than there is Robbie Lawler winning three. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Mike, any final thoughts on that and where the welterweight division goes from here? Um, let's see the rematch, Woodley against Maya, and uh, hopefully GSP's back to to, <laughs> to fight for the title next. That's about it. Man. Tell you what, a, a dark horse in this whole thing? Steven Thompson. Oh, Steve Thompson. Oh, <laughs> how dare you bring up Ben Askren when I'm talking <laughs> Steven. Steven Thompson is. I, I was. Uh, I picked. Um, he fought Ellen Barger right in uh, in Vegas. I, I picked Ellen Barger in that fight, yeah. and um, he's definitely a great striker. He's spoken recently about how underappreciated his wrestling game is, and man, he's got a chance to prove that right uh, against Hendricks. So, he, and he's also a lot more exciting than any other guys that uh, may be up for a title shot. So we can yeah. hope. Well, you know, the intriguing thing with him is I think he got written off by a lot of people after he lost to Matt Brown, but that was before Matt Brown was a known quantity, at least as the current incline, uh, the current uh, um, incarnation of Matt Brown. So, mm-hmm. and he hasn't lost since. So I, I'm I'm really I'm really interested to see to see what he can do against Johnny Hendricks. If he wins that fight, man, he's got he's got a rocket on his back. I think. Given I sure. sang Wonder Boy on Tuesday at karaoke, I'm gonna. Go with that. <laughs> what is the reason for your sorrow? James? Just, yeah. just. I think he's going to uh, check out the crevasse and fill it with his mighty juice. Um, on February fifth, sixth, February sixth is oh UFC one eighty six. That's how we're going to end the show tonight. Oh, I think that's. Good. I think that's the way to to end it. I I really do. I think that's. I, like I think that's a stellar spot. I like it. <sighs> We're going to have 
plenty to talk about next week uh, with the results of Sunday's UFC Fight Night 81 event. And given how this month has already begun, we're probably going to uh, have a lot more news next week as well. So we'll be back to talk about that uh, and discuss what is still to come in uh, January and February. And uh, so thank you for listening, everyone. For Sean Ennis and Michael Bain, this is James Pennock signing off.